we continue to make our way through Luke's gospel, may I invite you to turn your attention with me to Luke chapter 20. We'll take up there at verse 20 and read through verse 26, Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. Taxes are on many of our minds these days. We've just come as a nation through months of bantering over uh, taxes in this campaign, how tax dollars are being used in Washington, in Frankfurt, in Indianapolis. Now in the wake of the election last week, our eyes are turned toward what is being called these days the approaching American fiscal cliff, the looming effect of a series of laws recently passed by our Congress, which if left unchanged will result in several unpleasantries in the new year not least of them being uh, significant tax hikes for us all. We've grown even weary of the word tax, let alone the uh, reality. Nobody likes taxes. The Jews in Jesus' day despised taxes. Taxation to them represented a double insult. Not only did the government have its hand in their pockets, But to make matters worse, to add insult to injury, it was the Roman government pulling Roman coins out of their Jewish pockets. The so-called poll tax, which is widely believed to have been at the center of this conversation we're about to read, the annual requirement that every person pay a single denarius, about a a day's wages for the common laborer then, for the privilege of breathing the air in Rome's empire was just one more bitter reminder to them of Rome's yoke on their necks. To have been taken over by Rome was galling enough. Paying taxes to the pagan empire was salt in the wounds of patriotic Jews. More than 20 years before, Uh, When this tax was first imposed, there had been a revolt led by Judas the Galilean, who accused his countrymen of being cowards for paying this very tribute to Rome. That rebellion was quickly stamped out, but it was not forgotten. So this is a potentially explosive conversation that the Pharisees' spies are instigating with Jesus. It's the first of three exchanges in a row uh, in this chapter that we'll encounter the Lord willing. First today with the Pharisees, or rather the Pharisees' spies, then with the Sadducees, and then that followed third uh, by the scribes, the experts in the law. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we go to your word, we thank you for the high privilege of doing so openly and freely in this place. It is a right and a privilege that we have taken far too much for granted because we've enjoyed it all our lives. But Father, we pray that you will reignite in us not only an appreciation for, but a burning passion to hear your word, to hear these words of Jesus rise from the page and be as alive today because of the Spirit's work in our hearts now as they were the day they fell from his lips. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 20, verse 20. So they watched him, 
and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and that you show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. My, how those Jewish clerics and elders tried and tried to trap Jesus with their trick questions. And my, how Jesus turned the tables on them again and again and again, even turning their questions into his own questions. They would likely have uh, simply arrested Jesus on the spot had they been able. And in fact, they, they had tried to the approach, though neither Luke nor the other Gospels tells us just how far they went in the attempt. They were rightly fearful of the people. Many of the people hung on Jesus' words, as we read last week, and arresting him might result in a riot. And who knows where or how far a riot would go, but it was certainly possible, even likely, that Rome would in that situation step in and intervene, uh, enter Jerusalem, and in the process strip these Jewish leaders of what privileges they had left. And they certainly could not have that. But neither could they tolerate Jesus' authority with the people, and particularly the diminishment of their authority in direct proportion to the increasing popularity and authority of Jesus. They couldn't arrest Jesus because it was too risky, but there was someone who could. Rome could arrest Jesus. And so scheming, these religious leaders descend to the level of espionage. They send spies in the hopes of tricking Jesus into committing some crime against Rome so that the Gentiles will do their dirty work for them. Now the ironic thing about their schmoozing, uh, about their attempt at flattery so as to throw Jesus off his guard there, is that they couldn't have been more accurate. They couldn't have described the situation better or taught better about who Jesus is. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God, they said. And they were right. Exactly right. And they're about to be astounded astounded by just how right they are. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not, they ask. And you can see what they're doing here, right? What they're after? They're trying to impale Jesus on the horns, one or the other, of a dilemma. They're setting him up. 
If he says, yes, pay your your taxes to Caesar, then they're confident he will lose his popularity with the crowds and maybe even suffer their wrath. On the other hand, if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, then he'll be guilty of subverting the state. And Rome certainly would step in. As a matter of fact, you know from your Bibles that later on, in chapter 23, they will accuse Jesus of teaching them not to pay their taxes. They will allege to Pilate that Jesus had been telling them that very thing. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus responds brilliantly to their craftiness and silences them in the process. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It wasn't just a clever rejoinder. In two simple clauses, Jesus succinctly and universally defined the entire relationship of the Christian to the state in all places and all times. What has always been true for Christians is that we live our lives with one foot in one kingdom and the other in the other, uh, in the earthly kingdom and in the heavenly one. As people in whom the Holy Spirit lives, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens here in this room, citizens of the United States of America. But, and even more, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. There was a day in our nation when it was easy for Christians to forget that dual citizenship. To be an American at one time seemed almost synonymous with being a kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So friendly was our civil authority, our government, to our convictions, to biblical truth. America has even at times been described as a Christian nation. Today, it is becoming increasingly clear that it simply is not so. Events even just this past week have served for those with eyes to see as the portents of conflict. The storm clouds are gathering for Christians, for the church in our land whose leadership is becoming increasingly antagonistic, if not yet to the Christian faith itself, certainly to Christian morality. It is now illegal, for example, for a Christian landlord to refuse to rent his property, his rental home, to a homosexual couple or an unmarried heterosexual couple. The moral offense of Christians is no longer counted as a matter of any consequence when weighed against the modern sensibilities of the state. In a day when religious organizations are having to file lawsuits, multiple lawsuits against the federal government to fight against being forced to provide abortion-inducing drugs... An unimaginable situation, even just 
a few years ago, it seems that the state is becoming more and more a sinister force, even an outright enemy of our faith. Attempted crackdowns on homeschooling by the state, the protection of not just the tolerance now, but the outright promotion of things like gambling and abortion and indecency by our government is, being, is putting Christians in an increasingly difficult spot. Some Christians have even begun to ask, is it right, is it moral, is it obedient to God for me to pay my taxes? Jesus answers those last questions with a resounding yes. Yes, it is right. It is moral. It is obedient. It is required by God to pay your taxes. It is required of you to pay your taxes, all of them, even to such a government as yours that is becoming more and more uh, antithetical, even hostile to the Christian faith and ethic. We must continue to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, period. Actually, Jesus says two things. We're to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Consider them each briefly with me. First, Christian, you must render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. When the spies in the crowd asked Jesus about the propriety of paying taxes, paying tribute to Caesar, Jesus asked for a coin, a denarius. Maybe there's a little touch of irony here. I don't know that Jesus himself doesn't have a denarius on him. But anyway, the denarius is provided, and Jesus points to the likeness on the face of the coin. It is, of course, Caesar's bust on that coin. This is one way that a conquering nation exercises its authority over the conquered nation by making its currency the currency of the conquered. Imagine yourself one day paying your check at Walmart in yen, and you might be able to imagine something of the feeling experienced by the Jews carrying Roman money in Palestine. Well, the Roman denarius was in those days a silver coin. As I said, it bore the, on the one side the bust of Tiberius and the inscription in an abbreviated form. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. And flipped the coin over. On the other side was an image of Tiberius's mother, Livia, and the inscription Pontifex Maximus. High priest. So the coins were an affront also to Jewish religious sensibilities for two reasons. They bore a graven image and ascribed to that image divine status. Even the very currency of Rome was the embodiment of Rome's idolatry. The very sight of the Roman denarius was the reminder of the objectionable things that these taxes paid by the Jews to Rome were being used for. Yet Jesus says in no uncertain terms, pay your taxes, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Rome was the occupying power. It was the state and to the state 
must the taxes be paid. Jesus paid his taxes. And he tells us to pay our taxes too. Right now, our coins bear on them our currency, the inscription in God we trust. But even if they were instead described with, inscribed with atheistic slogans or pagan ones, even if our government begins officially to favor non-Christian religions and to persecute Christians for the faith, even if our tax money was being used to erect temples for false religions, and we know that some of our tax money already helps to fund the largest abortion provider in our nation, whatever hairs you might split over the allocation of those funds, we still have to pay our taxes because we are followers of Jesus who said, render unto Caesar. Look, part of the taxes that Jesus paid were used to build pagan temples around the empire. They were used to pay Roman soldiers. Now, isn't that ironic? For it was they who nailed him to the cross, whose salaries Jesus' taxes helped to pay. Or think of the Apostle Paul, who said the same thing in Romans 13, where he commanded that taxes be paid to the civil authority, because, as he put it, they are ministers of God. That's the, the, the very same government that had already, on more than one occasion, imprisoned Paul for his work as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Pay them the taxes, he says. Paul goes on to say that we're not only to render taxes, but respect and honor to the civil authorities whom God has put in place. Peter agrees. Fear God, honor the emperor. Really, Peter? Honor the emperor? Who was the emperor that day? Nero. Nero, who dragged Christians behind his chariot. Nero, who burned Christians as candles alive in his garden for the amusement of it. Honor the emperor, he says. What extraordinary obedience. We Christians are to render at this point. We have the opportunity, my brothers and sisters, to put this piece of obedience in place in our lives today. We've just come through an election which results uh, may or may not sit very well with you personally. But whatever else may be said about the results of Tuesday's election, this much is absolutely Certain, You can take this to the bank. It is the clear and uncertain, I mean, it's perfectly certain teaching of the scripture. God's chosen leaders have been put into office in the United States of America and in your state. And he did so on Tuesday. God puts kings and rulers on their places, on their thrones of authority 
He is the one who gives them their power, the scripture says. Christians of all people recognize this because they look at those offices through the lenses of scripture. So Christians of all people must be the first ones in line to pay their taxes, all of their taxes, and the last ones found cursing their civil leaders, mocking their civil leaders, undermining their civil leaders, who are, the scripture says, God's ministers. Second, Christian, you must render unto God the things that are God's. Now, the temptation at this point might certainly be, it was mine, as I considered the passage, to look at our money as a sort of pie, you know, and, and we say, okay, well, Caesar gets this slice, but I, then I'm going to render unto God what is God, so, so he gets this slice, and so the application becomes, well, we don't withhold our taxes from Caesar, and we don't withhold our tithes from God. And it is right that we don't withhold our tithes from God. Withholding your tithe from God, God calls in the scripture robbery. And the last thing I want to find myself doing is robbing God. Uh, But when Jesus said, render unto God what is God's, he was saying so much more than that. Step back now a second and ask yourself, if Jesus says, render unto God the things that are God's, ask yourself this question. What is God's? What is God's? What are the things that belong to God? What what portion of my money, quote unquote, belongs to God? What what parts of my body, what hours of my day, what thoughts of my mind, what resources at my disposal belong to God? Well, all of them. It all belongs to God. To God. Every bit of it, every cent belongs to Him. Every square inch of your body, knitted together by Him in your mother's womb, belongs to Him. Every thought of your heart, known completely beforehand by Him, belongs to Him. All of your affections, all of your loyalties, all of your obedience. So, how do we render to God what is God's then? Well, simply this by giving it all to Him. All of it, by handling it all in ways that are obedient to him. So then look how the first part of Jesus' instruction is actually swallowed up in the second. Even paying your taxes to Caesar, to your government, whatever government that is at the time, is rendering to God what is God's. We pay our taxes because doing so is obedience to Jesus Christ. To spend your rightful, uh, to send rather your rightful tax payment to the Internal Revenue Service is to render to God what is God's. Because your government is established by God, it is His minister to you. This also throws some light on just how far Christians may go in loyalty to the state. Uh, When Peter wrote, fear God, honor the king. Uh, God came first for a reason. One honors the king or gives to Caesar insofar as loyalty to God requires it. Uh, And so the disciples, when commanded to cease and desist 
from the work Jesus had called to them to do of preaching the word, uh, those apostles would have to say later to the authorities, uh, we must obey God rather than men. Still, the obligations we owe to God and those we owe to the state aren't to be set by us in our minds over against one another as if they were incompatible. Both, ordinarily, may be maintained at the very same time. But there is some irony here, too, and don't miss this. I already alluded to it a little bit with Peter's honor, the the king. That very king, the very emperor whom Christians were to honor in the first century was also burning them alive for the fun of it. And it's uh, not been the only time that Christians have found themselves rendering honor and taxes to the very ones who persecute them. In the Lord's kind providence, I came upon this history of a second century Christian by the name of Justin. He was what is called an apologist for the Christian faith, not that he went around apologizing for being a Christian in that modern sense of the term apology, but because he wrote a defense of Christianity. Specifically, he addressed the accusations made very often in his day that Christians were disloyal to the state, that they made bad citizens. But he argued the very opposite. There were no more obedient, no more law-abiding, no more faithfully tax-paying, loyal, hard-working citizens in all the empire than the Christians. And he was right. Nobody could be counted on to pay their taxes to Rome like the Christians could. Rome needed more, not fewer Christians. But listen to this. It was not long afterward that Justin was himself dragged into a Roman court accused of being a Christian. His accuser was apparently a rival teacher of philosophy who was jealous of Justin's popularity and success. Six other Christians, apparently disciples of Justin, appeared with him in the dock. The judge was looking to find them guilty. Trials in those days were often very political affairs. And uh, the judge commanded the accused to sacrifice to the state gods. Of course, they refused. The judge, who was well known to be something of a bully, questioned uh, Justin about his beliefs, but the contempt in his voice made it perfectly clear that it was only a show. When he could learn no more about the Christians' beliefs, he came right to the point. He asked each man in turn if he were a Christian. Each acknowledged that he was. Some of them were the children of Christian parents and been Christians all their lives from their infancy. Others were converts to the faith in their adulthood. Most, if not all of them, were taught by Justin. They were not all clever, but none of them wavered. They were threatened with flogging, with execution. Jeering, the judge asked Justin if he thought he would ascend to heaven. I don't think so, Justin said. I know. And I'm fully convinced of it. After one last but equally fruitless attempt to get them to offer sacrifice to Roman gods, the judge condemned them all to death by beheading. And that is how Justin received the name by which he has been known, 
through the centuries to this very day, Justin Martyr. Justin shared at least this much in common with Jesus Christ. Both of them loyally paid their taxes to the very government that murdered them. Both paid into a system that funded and promoted and even enforced idolatry. Both found themselves on the bad side of those same governments and both were put to death by those governments in part or in whole for refusing to worship anything or anyone but the one true and triune God. Now, Christians, what is being required of us in these terse commands of Jesus to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Jesus is requiring you to be both a loyal citizen and a willing martyr. He is teaching us to love the Lord and trust him even as we serve him in this world. He's showing us what it means to be citizens of both this nation and of heaven, of the kingdoms of earth and the kingdom of God. Faithful in earthly kingdoms precisely because of our faithfulness to heavens. Obedient to earthly rulers out of obedience to the ruler of heaven and earth. But faced with the choice, above all and in all, to the latter, to the king of kings. The day may 